Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you this morning. We praise you. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. You reign. You reign. You reign. It's not about us. It's about you reigning, God. We put you in that place. We set you in that place, Father, in our lives. That you are reigning in our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know what's been happening in Israel over the last couple of days has got people losing their minds. I mean, people are losing their minds on, you know, that don't even know who God is. And then people who do know who God is are somewhat losing their minds. And rightfully so. But Jesus said, you know, don't don't get all worked up because there's wars and rumors of wars. He said, don't get all worked up. The end is not yet. And I'm not one for pushing aside the end. I'm ready. I, I want Jesus to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I believe, I believe he can come at any time. Any time. I mean, he's God. I mean, he can do what he wants to, whether we like it or not, right? He can come any time. But he has an appointed time. And I don't know if Jesus has got up off the throne yet. He said, I'm I'm waiting for God to say, go get him. And I'm ready. I'm ready. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. Amen. The thing about it is, yeah, things are not looking good over there in the sense of in the sense of God's chosen people getting attacked. God's got him. God's got him. Amen? Amen? God's got him. He's taken care of him. He's taken care of him. But in that, we don't need to get so enamored and so taken with a spirit of fear that will try to come and, and, and cause us to push people into a relationship with God. gospel says. Give them some good news. That's what the gospel says. Good news. It's good news. So don't get so upset with what's going on over there. But here's what we do. We pray. We pray for them. We pray for Israel. We The, the Bible says, I think it's in Psalm 22, that uh, that we, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Those rockets are coming into the borders, not into Jerusalem right now. And God is good. I, I don't know. It, Israel is on the cutting edge of everything that we do, technology-wise, uh, med- medical-wise, all those kinds of things. There's a bunch of smart people in Israel. <laughs> and they've got, you know, they, they've created that dome over the... The, the invisible dome over what is it called the iron dome or something like that and to stop those rockets and yes there's some that sneak through but God's got his people amen we need to pray we need to be in agreement but God's got his people amen so this morning I, I wanted to start out I was going to start out at the beginning of a message doing this but I feel like it needs to be done here while we're standing while we're honoring God 
their history of revival in our country has broken out over time, time and time again, when somebody, their heart is right and they say, come Holy Spirit, come fire of God, right? That's when revival breaks out. Well, fire of God and Holy Spirit not only break out here, but break out in Israel. Bring your people into, into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the peace of Jerusalem. We thank you for peace in, in Israel. But when you say, you, you said when people begin to say peace and safety, we better be aware. We better be ready. So, Father, as peace and safety is being proclaimed, I pray that that would come. But, God, do your thing. Do your thing. Give give courage to the Israeli people to defend their nation, to, to take down what the enemy is trying to do. Because, God, we know that when the enemy begins to attack Israel, when things happen in Israel, they are immediately followed by things happening in the church. So, Father, in Jesus' name, protect your people over there and let it transfer into here. Father, I praise you and I thank you that we are battle ready. We are battle ready, ready to go to war if we need to. We're not weak. We're not weak. We're not weak. We're ready. people in our country says that America is weak and you know everybody's got their opinions but I'll tell you who's not weak and that's the church the church ain't weak and we ain't meant to be weak get battle ready get your sword sharpened get your shields up well now has a sweatshirt she wears around and says uh, swords out shields up let's go to war go to war. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for what's ahead of us today, God. I pray over your people. I pray that their ears are ready to hear the word. I pray that their feet are ready to move on the word. And I pray, God, that your your disciples are not just people who gather in this place, but your disciples are those who get equipped and take the word to the streets. So, Father, I thank you for a people that are bold in their faith, that are bold in their prayers, that are bold in their declarations, Father. I thank you. I praise you for this morning. We give you all honor, glory, and praise for who you are and what you do in our midst. Fire of God, come. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. somebody hello, give them a high five, fist bump, shake hands, hug, whatever you want to do. Thank you. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good deal. Hey, could you all give our worship team a hand clap? And they do a great job. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Well, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor at Cowboy Church, and it is an honor to get to be here this morning with you guys. Pastor Lynette, who uh, is in uh, California today, uh, ministering to Kingdom Ranch. We want to say hello to Kingdom Ranch. Thank you all for joining us this morning. And uh, it's going to be a, a good time out there. You know that when she's there, Holy Spirit's there, right? So, yeah, this is, talk about a little church breaking out in revival. When Pastor Lynette's there, you better watch out. Amen. So, anyways, it is good to be with you all this morning. Um, man, was last weekend a good weekend for you? And I was so excited. It's, it's kind of funny because now I feel like, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, it's kind of like a, well, y'all surely don't know what this is like, a hangover. <laughs> there ain't nobody knows what a hangover is like except me, right? It's, it's almost like a spiritual hangover because it's like drinking from a fire, fire hose last week. And, uh, man, it was so good. Still, still, uh, unfolding things that, uh, that Robbie said. And it was so simple. Every session was so simple. And uh, so dynamic. It was so good. So anyways, with that, I will try to keep the keep the momentum going. And uh, we appreciate you all coming and being here. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, if you would go over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, New Testament. If you're not familiar with your Bible, the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. And it's such a such an awesome day today that uh, I've got two Bibles. It's going to be a two-Bible day. Amen. Are you all awake this morning? Well, I want to I want to talk to you this morning about something that's been on my heart for a while, and I've just I've been navigating through it. I, I've got lots of notes, and I, I really didn't even scratch the surface on how many notes I've got at the house compared to what I'm talking about this morning. So I preach again next week, and then Lynette preaches the next, but she said, if you need my session, you can have mine. Ain't she, ain't she good? <laughs> so anyways, I'm, I, I don't know if I'll need it or not, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely carry this over into next week. But uh, in Matthew chapter 19, I just kind of want to, before we get into it, I, I just kind of want to bring you up on a little history of what's going on here. Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus and the twelve. His 12 disciples and the people who are uh, being discipled by him, all these people, they're, they're uh, what I would call, they're in a sweet spot. You know, uh, when I play golf, there's a, there's a, there's a place on my club called the sweet spot. And, and it's, if you hit in that sweet spot, the club should do what you're incapable of doing on your own. And every once in a while, in in one game, eighteen hole game, I'll every once in a while I hit the sweet spot. So it's it's in this place where um, I don't even want to compare my game to what these guys are going through here. Um, but Jesus and his twelve are in this this really sweet spot, and it's uh it is the prime of Jesus' ministry. It is the, they are sitting in the prime of things. Because what they're seeing at this point in, in Matthew 19, what they're seeing is they're seeing healings take place. They're seeing diseases being healed, blind eyes being opened, people being delivered from demonic activity. I mean, things are happening. Everywhere Jesus goes, uh, 
the dead's getting raised, blind eyes are open. I mean, there's so much stuff going on, and it is it is what the, what they would probably look back on and say, those were the good old days. The the disciples are seeing all these things happen, and and it's such a such a glorious time. It's one of those times where you think it'll never end, but in fact, it is just weeks, just a few weeks, and Jesus is going to go to the cross. They don't know that he's trying to tell them that that it's coming, but they don't know that they're they're going to go from the highest high to the lowest low in just a few weeks. So they're, they're on their way to Jerusalem for Passover. They're journeying. Jesus and the twelve are journeying and they are on, they are on the east side of the Jordan River in a, in a region called Perea. And over there in, in Perea, it is probably, um, it is probably the same place on the east side of, of the Jordan River where Joshua brought the, the, the children of Israel in the, in the Old Testament. And where the Jordan raised up. See, the Jordan waters didn't back up. They raised up is what the Bible says. For 50 miles, the Jordan raised itself up. And all the children of Israel walked over together. They didn't follow a hierarchy except for the the ark of God going before them. They all crossed together. They were all in one accord. That's not a Honda, okay? (laughs) They were all together going across the river. And so, um, this is where Jesus is. He's looking, he can see Jericho from, from their side of the, from his side of the river. He had just blessed a, a children's church happening. All the little kids came to him. He blessed them. He prayed for them and saw great things happen in those kids. And as he gets up with his 12 and they start venturing toward the Jordan to go across, they are interrupted by a person. A person suddenly interrupts their journey. So I want, this is where I want to start. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, and I'm going to read from, first from the, uh, Passion Translation. And the only reason I'm reading two different translations of this is because I like it. And I got the mic. And so, and I don't know if I got time, but I'm going to do it anyways. So it says here in verse 16, it says, Then a teenager approached Jesus and bowed before him saying, wonderful teacher, is there a good, is there a good work I have to do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus answered, why do you call me wonderful? God alone is wonderful. And why would you ask that, ask what good work that you need to do? Keep the commandments and you'll enter into the life of God. Which ones, he asked. Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love those around you as you love yourself. But I've always, but I've always obeyed every one of them without fail, the young man said. No pride there at all, is there? What else do I lack? And Jesus said to him, if you really want to be perfect, go immediately and sell everything you own, give all your money to the poor, and your treasure will be transferred into heaven. Then come back and follow me for the rest of your life. And get this, verse 22. 
When the young man heard these words, he walked away angry, for he was extremely wealthy. Man. Let's read that again from the New Living Translation. Verse 16 says, Someone came to Jesus. Now, I like the other version better, a teenager. I'd never heard a teenager that he was a teenager. I just knew he was a young man. But it says, Someone came to Jesus with the question, Teacher, what good deed must I have to, to, to have? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to, to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all of these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? And Jesus answered him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man answered this, or heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. I wrote in one of my Bibles, or possessions had him. He had many possessions, but did he really have them or did they have him? Um, This um, story here is what they call the story of the rich young ruler. I don't know what he ruled, but anyways, he had a lot of money. He ruled possessions. But he was still, in his heart, he didn't know what to do. Even though he had all this success, he didn't know what to do about his spiritual life. And and so this this story is not only in Matthew chapter 19, it's also uh, reiterated in Mark chapter 10 and also in Luke chapter 18. But the young man was a teenager, it says. And he interrupted Jesus' direction where Jesus was going. He interrupted him with his own self-importance. Because a rich kid will do that. He'll think his possessions have him, uh, you know, everybody's attention will be on him. That he can interrupt anybody. That he can be in this place where, where he can, you know, it's his own self-importance. So as he begins to interrupt Jesus, this rich young ruler, we don't know, we don't really know that he was wealthy until the end of that verse in 22. Jesus goes on, you know, the, the, the disciples, his disciples are astounded that this man turns around and walks away from Jesus' words, what Jesus told him to do. He walked away angry. He walked away sad. He walked away sorrowful. And, and they said, they said, you know, what's, what's his deal? And Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It's not that a rich man can't enter into the kingdom of God. It's just difficult because they have great success and great possessions. And sometimes those possessions start speaking into their life, telling them how important they are because they have what they have and have gained what they've gained. Amen? And so... 
he, his success was measured by his many possessions. His success in his own life was because he had many possessions. We don't know what he, exactly he was ruler of, but that's what they call him. But what we do know is that he didn't like what Jesus had to say. Because he was angry. One version says he was angry. Another version says uh, he was sad. Another one says that he was sorrowful. So needless to say, when he walked away, he was not in a good spot, right? He's not in this good place. He's mad. And he walks away. So what I want to talk to you guys about today from this story is being consumers versus being contributors. Are we consumers or are we contributors? Are we consumer Christians or are we contributing Christians? Are we consuming churchgoers? Or are we contributing churchgoers? I just want that to resonate with you a little bit. And and as we go through this, maybe there's some things that will settle down and, and show you where you're at. There may be things that you do that are considered consuming, being a consumer, but there may be some things that also says that you're a contributor. We need to, we need to find those things out so that we are not going away from church angry, sad, or sorrowful. Because I've seen it. I'll go you one better. I've done it. I've done it. And like Jesus, there may be some things that I say today that you want to throw your sucker in the dirt and walk out. I hope that I don't. And that's not my intent. But the fact of the matter is, there may be some things that you don't like what, what you feel once you hear these things. But I'm, I want you to know this, that I would never stand up here looking down my nose at you, any of you. I would never stand up here being in a judgmental, critical, regal place where I think that I've arrived and you all haven't. And let me tell you how the cabbage type of deal, right? I'm not going to do that. That's not my intent because I've sat in your seat personally. I was a churchgoer before I was a pastor. And there were times that I look back and I see that I was like this rich young ruler. I was thinking that I was all that in a bucket of fish, you know, and and thought that I had arrived. I remember one time my mom, she didn't know what to do with my new faith because I was pretty vocal about it. I've calmed down a little bit. But but my mom, she's probably watching. She She told me one time, she says, you just need to chill out just a little bit. And I, I wouldn't, I'd just run right in there. I would run right in there and I would tell her how wrong she was. That lady. <laughs> that lady prayed me into the kingdom. Dear woman. I mean. She prayed me into the kingdom. Who am I to be telling her how to live her faith because I'm in such a hot rod place, you know? But I've sat in your seat personally. 
I've sat with that arrogance um, that this rich young ruler had. And, and, and that place that he came to Jesus was wanting to get something from him. Not walk with him as a disciple, but to get something from him so that he could be even greater in his own eyes. And I've been there. I've been that consumer. But as a pastor, things shift. Things change. Because now I have to deal with consumers. Now listen, I'm preaching about everybody else who's left the building, who's not here today, or who have who have left. So I'm not talking to you. But as a pastor, it can be frustrating to 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 see people in that condition. It can be frustrating. It can be discouraging. It can even be painful and hurtful to to see uh, people with the consuming attitude and to be to be uh, faced with that. But last weekend. Robbie revealed something uh, to me, not not privately, but while he was ministering, he revealed some things. And it wasn't because that the congregation, the, the y'all who were here, not because you were doing anything that brought this on, that um, that you did or said or anything like that, but it was something on the inside of me that he said to me. There was a point that uh, that Robbie had Saturday night when he had released ministry and and said, I'm not going to pray, you pray for each other. He released that into us, into our body, right? Yeah. And everybody started praying for everybody else. But there were still some that he felt like were looking to him to almost like that he was the one that had the healing. He was the one that had the, the encouraging words. He was the one that had these things. no. He does have it, but he was releasing it to us to do. And so he come off of the stage and he, I was standing right out here in front of where I usually sit. And he come to me and he says, I'm going to go to the back because there are some people that are starting to look to me. And he said, I don't want them to look at me. And he removed himself from the, from the auditorium as to continue the prayer that was happening being released on the inside of every one of us that's sitting in the congregation. And it spoke volumes to me because I felt like that it was the same reason that Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross so that he could train, he, he trained his disciples to do the work of the ministry. He trained them to do it. And then he has to step away, spent three and a half years training them and then he goes to the cross, steps away, resurrected from the dead, goes to heaven to leave it in our hands. He didn't leave it into pastor's hands. He didn't leave it into priest's hands. He didn't leave it into leader's hands. He left it into the general population's hands. Anybody who come and follow him, have his spirit, have everything that they need from him to do the work of the ministry. So why do we have churches? Well, it's because this place is a training center. It's like a university. It's like a place where you go and learn how to do it so that you can go do it. But you don't come here so that I can do it. I hope that you don't come here so I can do it. Because I'm not going to oblige you. The thing about it is, is I'm, I'm in the same boat you are. I'm just a Christian. I'm just a Christian. Amen.
Praise God, I'm a Christian, right? But what I see is that we as pastors and leaders, our responsibility is to lead, teach, and model Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what a leader is to do. A leader is not to, to come in and, and rule and reign and try to tell people what to do and abuse people and hurt people because they're in the leadership role. That's not what we're meant to do. We're meant to bring what revelation God gives us, pass it on to you so that you can take it and go and run with it. You, there's going to be people in this room that see more healings than I will ever see. Because you've been trained and you're doing what God has told you to do. You've been trained by the church to do what God has called you to do. Amen? Amen. And so that's what this place is for. It's not only a hospital, but it is a training center to get people to do what God's called them to do. For, For leaders, for pastors, for people that are that are doing the training, it is so easy to project trust in me and depend on me. It's so easy to be in that spot. Depend on me for prayer. Depend on me for wisdom. That's a scary thought, isn't it? <laughs> depend on me for counsel. And it's so easy for us, you know, as leaders to get into that position and say, depend on me. But then in turn, when the people start depending on you in an unhealthy way, depending on you, though, then I, you know, I can get frustrated. We can, we as leaders can get frustrated when people come to us and expect us, you know, expect us to be the doctor or expect us to be the psychologist or expect us to be legal counsel. Oh, dear God. I've got those phone calls. Hey, what do I do here? I'm going to, before the judge to do this. Uh huh. Man, I teach the Bible. I don't teach the law books. I mean, I'll give you as much as I know, but that's, that's scary within itself. Uh, and you may not want that advice. But when I look at the story of the rich young ruler, what I see is he had the makings of a consumer. He just wanted to consume. So as we as we go into this, I want to give you some definitions. I got a lot of definitions today. Is that all right? Because I, I like definitions because I like to be clear on what we're talking about. So it helps me. Um, I didn't use a dictionary too much in school. But now what I do, I use a lot of definitions. So, so hang tight with me. If you don't like definitions, just hang on. We'll get to your good part later but so i wanted to i wanted to define what a consumer is a consumer this is this is the dictionary american dictionary definition of what a consumer is a consumer is a person who purchases goods and services for personal use what i wrote down there is there a sit and get a sit and get i mean if you you go to you go to a rock concert at Red Rocks, okay? Or you go to a concert at Red Rocks. It don't have to be rock and roll. But you go there to Red Rocks, you buy your ticket, you expect a show. 
you expect to be entertained, right? If you're not entertained, you're upset with that artist because they didn't entertain you. Because the goods and services you bought were there, was from them to entertain you. It's that way everywhere we go. But that's not what the church is for. I gave my tithes and I gave my offerings. You better entertain me. I ain't your monkey. And this ain't your cir- your circus. I can't be bought. Reminds me of an old country song. I can be had, but I can't be bought. Anyways, so that's what a consumer is. A person who purchases goods and services for a personal use. A contributor is this, a person who gives to, a person who gives to help achieve or provide something. Two different schools there. The first school is sit and get. The second school is serve and go. Givers and takers. Contributors, consumers. So what I got from this story, I got four characteristics of a consumer from the rich young ruler. How was he a consumer? So let's, let's, let's go over these four things. You ready? Number one, the rich young ruler was entitled. He was a consumer because he was entitled. He was, he felt entitled. So, uh, here's a definition of being entitled. Believing that one is inherently deserving of privileges and, or special treatment. In Jesus' time, Jesus was pretty familiar with entitled people because the uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that time, the big high uh, religious people of that day were very entitled. They felt like that when they come into a, a dinner party or something like that, based upon hierarchy, the, the highest, um, most respected, most honored Pharisee would sit at the head of the table. He believed he deserved it. He was entitled. So Jesus knew about entitlement. He knew and he saw entitled people. Here in in the, the story of the rich young ruler, this young man was entitled. In Mark chapter 10, the same story, uh, in Mark chapter 10 verse 17 from the New Living Translation, it says this, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down in front of him. The man came running. This teenager came running to him. He came running. Now, listen, he is not running to Jesus because he wants Jesus. He's running to Jesus because of what Jesus had. It's it's a total heart thing that, that is not right. He interrupted Jesus. Now, Jesus was used to being interrupted by people who who, uh, you know, wanted healing or something like that. But Jesus knows this man's heart. And he's being interrupted by this man making an outward show of telling everybody how important I am. And he comes up and falls down and he, and he, and, or kneels down and he interrupts Jesus' flow. Jesus is flowing somewhere. He's going somewhere. Interrupts his flow, but blocks his path, and then believes that he had the right or could manipulate access to Jesus by impressing those who watched him do this. He felt like, hey, I'm the richest dude here. 
I got a lot of money. I'm dressed nice. I got my Bentley sitting out there, my Bentley chariot, just on the other side of the wall here. I, I just, I just want to impress people. And if I can stop in front of this impre- impressive man and impress him, then I can get what I want. Believing that he had the right to access Jesus. See, there's a key word in the, in the definition to being entitled, and that key word is called deserve. That they deserve. Sometimes when we come to church, we, de- we get into a deserving attitude. We deserve the best parking spot. Just so that I don't make eye contact with anybody thinking I'm talking about you, I'm going to look at the ceiling. <laughs> we want the best parking spot. We want the best coffee. <laughs> we try. Apple fritters, you want the best donut? I want the best donut everywhere I go. I look in the case and find the best one. I want that one. Pink with sprinkles. They want the door open for them. They want the best worship music. We got that. We got that. You're not impressing me right now. No. We want the best worship music. We want the best sermon. But see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I can do all of that. I, I mean, I would love to do all that because I, I think I could get you the best parking spot in the, in the, in the parking lot. I think I can be, get you a best cup of coffee. I think I can open the door for you. But you know what? I can't do all of it alone. I can't do all of it alone. I think you deserve it too. But there's one thing about this word. When we put it into our makeup, and and we feel like that we deserve. You break that word down and it means to de-serve. When we feel like that we deserve, we put ourselves into a slot of de-serving. We quit serving. And when we quit serving, we become consumers. We we become the sit-and-getters. The only way to receive the best is to give the best. You can't receive the best without giving the best. A contributor, this is is the difference between the consumer and a contributor when it comes to entitlement, is that a a contributor is humble and grateful. They have an eye for excellence. I think back on, I think back on Daniel in the, in the book of Daniel. He was a, he was a young man that was, um, a young Israelite that when Babylon came in and, and defeated Jerusalem, they took away, Dan, Daniel was one of those young men that they took away and they put him into a place of serving the king of Babylon. Now he's an Israeli kid. He's a young man. He probably doesn't like the Babylonian king very much. But they put him into a place of serving the king. And, and the reason that they gave him such a high place to, 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 to serve the king of Babylon 
is because they recognized that he had an eye for excellence. The Bible says that a spirit of excellence was on him. He did, he went above and beyond. Even though he didn't want to serve that king, he went above and beyond and served that king. He didn't ask to be served. He didn't want to be served. But he gave his best because he wanted to see the best. That's what excellence is about. I want to see the best. So for me to see the best is not putting that weight on somebody else, but putting that weight on me to give my best so that the best can come upon me. Amen. It's, the, it's the law of sowing and reaping. We sow the best, we'll reap the best. Amen. Amen. We sow in excellence, we'll receive in excellence. I love it. Number two. Number two, what, what we see from the rich young ruler is that he focuses on his personal needs. He's only focused on his personal needs. It's all about him. It's about all about him impressing other people. It's all about him stopping in front of Jesus, interrupting his flow, interrupting his direction of where he's going and what he's doing. And he comes over and he, he falls down and, he, and his focus is on his personal needs. And he asked Jesus, he says, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? What good, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Jesus, tell me what I can do. I, I like that word there. Because it says, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? This got me to thinking. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but it got me to thinking, why is he rich? Why is he a teenager that is very rich, a young man who is very, very rich? How did he get his riches? He probably got his riches from somebody who died and he inherited it. Because he thinks that, he thinks that all good things come through inheritance. All riches come through inheritance. That's, that's just my take on it. I don't know that for sure. But the fact of the matter is, he says, how can I inherit eternal life? But Jesus is telling him, he's saying, the life that you're looking for is not from a what, but from a who. Look at that there. I didn't have Brad put this up, but... Uh, but verses 16 and 17 of this scripture out of the New Living Translation, he says, what good deed, what good deed must I do to have, to have eternal life? Jesus says, why ask me about what is good instead of who is good? See, it's not about what is good. It's about who is good. You can't inherit eternal life. You can't earn eternal life. You have to know who has eternal life, and you must come into a relationship with the one who has. Yes. Amen? Yes. The one who has has already given it to us. Every one of us has needs on any given church meeting. There's people in this room right now, you have a need. And it's not, it's, that's not a bad thing. It's, that's a good thing. I have a need and I can go to church. I can get somebody to pray for me. That's, that's good. I don't, I don't mind that at all is you're not being a consumer so much as you're, you're getting your needs met. 
But when your needs outweigh your heart of what being in church is about, that's when it becomes dangerous. That's when consuming comes in to your life. But when church becomes our only sit and get, one stop shopping, then we become sooner, uh, consumers. We become consumers. See, the, but the contributor focuses on the needs of others through compassion and love. They give and go. They give and go. How many people played basketball or a team sport that, that supported the give and go? Yeah. There, there's a term in sports called, especially in basketball, especially in hockey, things like that, um, where they have the give and go. It's where you don't hog the ball. You don't hog the puck for yourself. So I like hockey, so I looked up some stats on Wayne Gretzky. Greatest hockey player ever, right? Wayne Gretzky was the king, was the master of the give and go. He has the most points that someone can score. I mean, he holds the record in points scored in hockey. He had in his career 2,857 points. So in hockey, points are made up of goals and assists. He was a master at the... Wayne Gretzky is the greatest hockey player ever, but he he did not treat himself as the master when he was on the rink. Because out of those 2,857 points, he had 894 goals to record. But he also held the record in assists of 1,963 assists. He was more concerned about scoring the goal the goal was was the the goal was the goal yeah that was the goal but he didn't care who scored it as long as it got scored and even though he was a master at at, at making it in the goal he was a master of goals he was also the record holder he is also the record holder and the master of assists he knew how to give and go. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus said, Freely you have received, so freely give. When he said that, he was doing a give and go. Because he was equipping his followers. The uh, When he sent the 72 out in pairs to go out in into the 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 community and he said don't take any money don't take any don't take an extra pair of shoes don't take any clothes and when you enter into a town you pray and see where god leads you and whoever takes you in takes you in you don't go and make arrangements you're not staying in the finest hotels you aren't wearing the finest shoes you're not there to impress you're there to do the the give and go i'm giving you go Jesus was more concerned about the points than he was the goals. Because he knew that if he could give it to the right person, they will score. Amen. Amen? Freely you have received, freely give. That's what he told them. Number three, 
consume the the rich young ruler was a consumer because he had his punch list his punch list what is a punch list a punch list is is a uh, mainly held in like construction contracts when a construction contractor you he uses a, a punch list to make sure that he hits all the contractual specifics to to make that to make that contract work into his favor to to make sure that it gets done so the final things that they have to do to make sure the contract is fulfilled in the right way is they have a punch list so they'll go through and check those things off so many times that happens in church the rich young ruler jesus told him he said do these commandments he says, Jesus, what must I do? What must I, what, I, I'm, get, I'm putting together a punch list. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And Jesus says, keep these commandments. Now we can get really confused here when Jesus says, keep these commandments, because we can say, we've got to do these commandments. When he says, keep these commandments, he's not saying do these commandments. He's saying to make keeping the commandments your lifestyle. That's what keep means. It means make them your lifestyle. He's not saying just do them for the sake of doing them. Don't do them to be a punch list. Do them as a lifestyle because this is who you are. If you do it that way, you won't be a consumer. Because when you, he, he threw all those, he threw all those, those commandments out on the table just to see how the guy would react. And the guy reacted as having a punch list. Verses 18 and 19 there, he says, you must not, Jesus throws these out. He says, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your mother and father. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every command that Jesus told him to do was these commands were all responses toward people. Not for him but toward people. I mean, he tells them not to murder. That takes love sometimes. Because <laughs> there are times that people just people do stupid things, right? Yes. And you just want to throttle them. He said, "Don't murder." Okay. Check. Hadn't murdered today. Don't commit adultery. Check. But see, all these things that Jesus told him to do was supposed to be his response toward people, giving to them. If you make it through the day without being offended, then somebody has loved you well. Because I can tick somebody off, and it's usually my wife, every day. Every day. I can do it every day. And this is how much I know she loves me. I'm not dead. She ain't running off with some dude. She loves me enough to not steal from me. She don't lie. Anyways, you, you get my, you get my drift, don't you? 
I mean, these are about giving to others. These commands are about giving to others. And that's how we should live our life. But this guy looked at it as a punch list. He says, oh, I've done all those things ever since I was a kid. I've done all those things. Consumers have their punch list to assure a satisfied feeling. I had a good day today. Got all my stuff done. I prayed. I worshipped. I even danced a little bit, so I'm kind of on the upper end of things. Finished my day off good. I feel satisfied. I can go lay my head down because I've got these things. If you're not doing those from love and compassion, they don't mean squat. They got consumers have their punch list coming into church. Once again, we go back to, I got my parking spot, check money. I got the chair I wanted. It's my chair. Have you ever seen some, have you ever come into a church at some point? Not this one, some other church and sat down in a seat and somebody comes up and goes, you're sitting in my spot. Get up and move. Oh, I feel welcome. If, 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 if you've done that in here, don't let me catch you. I'll turn into the incredible Hulk right now. Now I've got my parking spot. Check. I got my chair. Check. Music was too loud today. Mm. I got a broccoli message when I came in. I don't like that. Pastor Lynette must have been preaching. But her makeup was on point. Money. Check. She had cool hair and cool shoes. Check. Check. I got my punch list. We, we don't need a punch list. We just need to come in with a serving heart, a heart of love, a heart of compassion, knowing that there are people in this room that need things. And we are assigned to help people who need things. Amen. We had this last week um, a lady on social media. When Robbie was here last weekend, of course, we didn't we didn't live stream Robbie's uh, messages, not because we're being mean, but because we were asked not to air his messages. Because there's sometimes he shares some things that are pretty personal. You saw how high profile he was in the in in the Middle East. We don't want to to air those things and compromise anybody's uh, safety. So th- his team asked us if we could not live stream it. So um, we we put out on social media. Some of y'all may have seen it that we were not going to live stream. A lady, I don't know where she's at. I don't know where she's from. And if she's watching today, yeah, I'm talking about you. <laughs> But she wrote, she says, wow, I cannot believe a church would do this. I won't be back. You're joining on live stream. She, she was all upset because her punch list wasn't being hit. I deserve to see Robbie. I deserve to sit home in my pajamas and drink my cup of coffee. Like I said, I don't know if she's from around here, but if she is, 
Hmm. You should have come to church. Anyways, she's all upset about it, and Rhett, Rhett protected her. He removed her comment so that she didn't get hammered. Because I know some of y'all, I know some of y'all, y'all are passionate. (laughs) Passionately you received and passionately you will give. (laughs) But where was I at? Punch list? Yeah. A contributor don't have a punch list. A contributor rolls with the flow of a church service without preconceived ideas of what it is to them. We just go. Hey, if the music's loud, we just go. If it's too loud, we just move on. You know, we've got earplugs. We can go back and put earplugs in just to get us through that. I'm not going to complain about Pastor Lynette's hair. Somebody did one time on social media. A lady said, asked her where she got her wigs. I have to live with her. Don't tick her off, all right? Somebody got mad at her because she had holes in her knees of her jeans. It's fashion. Yeah, she wears wears her holy jeans to church. She's holy. Now, listen. We, we roll with the flow of church service and, and some, sometimes church services aren't perfect. Sometimes things don't go, everything go the way that, that we thought they were going to go. And, and it's okay. Let me, let me just say this. I'm not, I'm not binding up your opinion. I'm not saying you're not allowed to have an opinion. You can have an opinion. You can have an opinion. But use your opinion constructively. It's okay to come and tell me that, hey, music was a little loud today. I, okay, I got you. But we ain't gonna, we ain't gonna, uh, please everyone. So throw your punch list away. Amen? Amen. Throw the punch list away. There was, there was one time that I had, it was like the first year of marriage, and I'd asked, coming back to Lynette's hair, I'd said, I think you'd look good as a redhead. And she says, okay. We had some really good friends in, in the small Texas town we were living in. Um, that the lady was a beautician. So Lynette says, "Can you?" My husband thinks I look good with red hair, so I'm going to satisfy. Well, she got her hair red. Well, it didn't work out like she thought it would. <laughs> now to hear her say it is very dramatic. She's going to say, "I look like Mama Judd red." <laughs> it was almost purple. Wasn't that bad, but it 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 was definitely different. <laughs> and I remember we went we went somewhere. I mean, she got it done on Friday afternoon. Friday evening, we had to be in another town to to be at a kind of a get together among cowboy ministers. She was livid. She was embarrassed. She 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 come home. She was crying. I said, I said, well, you don't have to go. And she says, what are you going to tell them? That your wife has stupid hair. <laughs> I said, well, get in the truck then. You can tell them that. So we, we get, get to where we're going and stuff like that. And our pastor's son was there. 
And our pastor's son, he was a, he's probably about 19 years. He's a rich young ruler. He was about 19 years old. And, uh, he, we come walking up to the house. It was Ray and Crystal Lyon's house at the time. And, and we, we walked up to, to the front door and, and Ryan come walking out and he looks at Lynette. He looks at me. He looks at Lynette and says, change is good. Uh-huh. That's the attitude we should have at church. That's the attitude we should leave with, leave with. You know, things didn't go the way I typically like them, but hey, change is good. I didn't have, they didn't have donuts this morning. Change is good. Hopefully, hopefully they come back. Yeah, there you go. I don't have to have to work out harder tomorrow. Anyways, a contributor rolls with the flow of church service and doesn't have preconceived ideas before they come here what it should be like. Amen. Amen. Number four, the last one, number four. A consumer attitude from the rich young ruler brings blame and criticism. Blame and criticism. I know that's two for number four, but they all fall in together. Blame, the definition of blame is assigning responsibility for a fault or a wrong. The definition for criticize means to indicate faults of something or someone in a disapproving way. We've all been criticized, haven't we? We've all been critics, haven't we? I mean, we, we all have. And so we can, we can do that just about anywhere. We can go to Walmart and become a critic. We can go to a movie and become a critic. Two thumbs down. We can, we can, we can go anywhere and, and cast blame and become a critic. But Jesus, this is what Jesus told the, the rich young ruler. Uh, verse 21 and 22, it said, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, that word perfect doesn't mean perfect without faults. It doesn't mean that you've got to strive to be perfect. The word perfect there in the Greek means the goal of unquestionable character. He says, if you want to reach your goal of unquestionable character, this is how you do it. Sell what you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And when he told him that, he was upset. Now, the story doesn't go into it. And I have no proof that he publicly blamed Jesus for anything. But my experience of when people go away from church angry, sad, or sorrowful, that there's usually blame and criticism that follows. That's been my experience. So I think that probably he did somewhere down the line. We don't have that recorded. But I think anybody who gets angry, sad, and sorrowful and feels like their needs hadn't been met when they were trying to impress everybody, that they usually become blamers and critics. Are you with me? They tend to become blame. They tend to, to blame and criticize. They write ugly, nasty letters and don't sign their name. That's my experience. Tell me how dumb our church is, but they don't have the guts to sign their name so I can call them and ask them.
Then they connect with other hurt, sad, angry people. And they form a small group of hurt, angry, sad people. And justify their hurt and call it critique instead of gossip and slander, which it is. So see, thank you. Thanks, Mom. No. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Uh, do you, do you, there is a difference between criticize and critique. There's a difference. Here's the difference between criti- being a critic and being a critique. When we criticize, we tear down. When we critique, we build up. Anytime I ask somebody to preach for the very first time, they, they've never preached before. They get up here all scared and, and stuff, and then they do a really good job. And, uh, I, I, when I think about that, I think of Kirsty when she got up here the first time. She's kind of nervous about things, but man, she killed it. <laughs> Knocked it out of the park. So good. But <laughs> I brought her in after that and, and I critiqued her message to build her up, to, to make her even better. I didn't criticize her and tear her down. Same with C-Dub, same with, with Rhett, same with Josh, same with Greg. Anybody who gets in this pulpit, I, I like to talk to them and critique them, not criticize them, because criticizing will tear somebody down. Critiquing builds them up. Amen? Amen. We got to find... We gotta find a way to not be constructive criticizers. We need to find, find a way of being constructive critiques. Critiques. Amen? Amen? Contributors bring solutions and fix or own or learn from the, from the thing that went wrong. Where they could blame, they learn how to fix. They, br- they bring solutions, not problems. When we bring problems to a leader, it's about blaming something Casting blame, setting blame. I always say to our leaders, if there's a fire, you have a choice what you bring to the fire. You can either bring water or you can bring gasoline. Gasoline explodes. Blame and criticism explode the problem. Or you can bring water and help fix the problem. Bring me a solution. Don't bring me a problem. Amen. So I want to close with this. Rhett, come on up. In Acts chapter 2, um, over in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So going into this, uh, Jesus has died. He went to the cross, died, was resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, and left left his spirit with his disciples to go and do the work of the ministry. At the day of Pentecost... In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out on that upper room and 120 people got filled with the Spirit and began to, begin to, to minister, prophesy and minister to other people. Peter began to preach. Y'all remember the story? If you don't, go back and read Acts chapter 2. But here's what happened. Once Peter started preaching, this, there were no churches at the time. There were no churches. But Jesus said there would be the church. Not only, not only are there four walls to a church, I mean, the, the church is the people, right? It's the congregation. That's the church. This is just a building, but there are also buildings that we meet in to learn and grow. 
And and Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. The church is going to grow based upon, uh, based upon Peter, the, the rock. And so Peter begins to preach that day and being filled with the Holy Spirit, all that kind of stuff. This is what happened. Okay. Verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 people in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came, up, came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Worship together, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Do you hear what's going on here? This is not, he is not producing people who consume. He's not, he's, he's not talking, this is not talking about producing consumers. It's talking about producing contributors. Everybody who came began to sell their properties, began to, uh, to do things in order to meet the needs of those that were there who needed. So there were people with needs there. There were people with needs. But it was the people who gave. It was those that community who gave to them who contributed to the growth of the church. Not to the reduce, the reducing or the declining of the church. It was growing the church. And I believe with all my heart that that is what Jesus had in mind for the rich young ruler. It started with Jesus talking to him, sell what you have give to the poor and come and follow me. That's what was going on after Peter preached. People began to see that they had something that they needed to give. They weren't there to sit and get. They were there to give and go. Amen. To serve and go. Love and joy of a community contributing advances the kingdom of God every time. You want to advance the kingdom of God? Let love and joy become a part of your life to contribute to the people. Love doesn't get. Love gives. And when you give, God will see to it that you've got enough for yourself and enough to give somebody else. That's true prosperity. True prosperity. Everybody puts down the prosperity preachers, right? True prosperity is not about money. True prosperity is not about things. The rich young ruler, if you if you look at his life, he would have had true prosperity if that was the case, because he had great possessions. But great possessions had him, so he really wasn't prosperous. Because true prosperity is having enough to meet your needs and the needs of someone else. The thing that the rich young ruler missed out on was the miraculous. Because when we start giving into a community and start advancing the kingdom of God by contributing, 
all of a sudden, now, miracle signs and wonders begin to happen. Mark my words, that when we get into a place, a true heart of giving, miracle signs and wonders will happen. What I had heard years ago, and I, I don't, I've tried to look for this and try to find the truth in it, but I don't know if there is, but I thought I'd share it with you anyways, is what I had heard is that Barnabas in the New Testament, that Paul and Barnabas got together and did mission trips, Barnabas was the rich young ruler. There was a time that he came in to the faith and quit being mad at Jesus and came into the faith and became a contributor in the kingdom. I don't know if that's true or not. If you find it, let me know. But if it is, it's incredible because he saw miracle signs and wonders happen because he changed, he repented of his consuming attitude. Don't let being a consumer spoil your church, community, experience, and encounter. Don't let it spoil. Do you all understand that? Spoil? That's okay of saying spoil. Don't let it, don't let consuming spoil your experience and encounter because God moves among those who contribute. When we have a heart to contribute, when we have a heart to give, God moves every time because our heart is right. Our heart's in the right spot. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. God, I praise you and I thank you for who you are and what you do, what you give us, God, so that we can give. Father, I thank you for expanding our hearts to not just look at ourselves, but to to look toward your people, to look toward your church as a giving. Father, that we can that we can uh, weed out the entitlement, that we can weed out the punch list, that we can weed out our own needs, and that we can weed out blame and criticism. God, I, I pray that we would do that so that we can be in a place to position ourselves into a giving place where freely we have received and freely we give and miracle signs and wonders that revival begins to roll out of that by advancing the kingdom of God through contributing instead of trying to stop the kingdom of God from moving by consuming. So, Father, wherever we need to repent, Father, I've been there, I've repented, and, God, I pray, I put my faith in agreement with each one of these uh, here today, our faith together, we repent we become contributors to your to your kingdom. God, we thank you. We praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you say